Will you take your Bible with me, turn to the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon, we are coming to our conclusion of our letter, the shortest letter that Paul wrote, but one that is certainly packed with great content for us to study together as the church. It's been a power-packed postcard, as we've been calling them. Uh, next week, we'll move into 2 John, and we'll study uh, the lessons there that are applicable to our life today. Today, we are looking at this theme, uh, finishing up a theme that really we've been on for what I feel like for the last six, mo- uh, six weeks to maybe two months, uh, as we launched our forgiveness series, Getting Rid of the Baggage. And as God led us through a series of messages through that title or through that topic, and then it, it bridged over into the series where we want to study the shortest books of the New Testament, the four of them, and uh, look at the power-packed lessons that are in there. And that led us right to Philemon, which the theme is forgiveness. It's about the, the man Philemon being a forgiver and the man Onesimus standing in need of reconciliation and the man Paul interceding on Onesimus's part uh, to plead and urge with Philemon to extend this forgiveness. And so when we looked last week, we saw in the body of the letter, verses 8 through 18, we saw that Paul was not using an approach to um, uh, doctrinal principles. He was not uh, emphasizing the theological basis for what he was writing about. Because what I believe in reading this letter, we saw that Paul knew that there was a motive that was already in Philemon as a man that was going to bring him to a decision point to offer forgiveness. And it was what he recorded in verse number nine, yet for love's sake. And so Philemon is going to be drawn in by the words that Paul writes and reminds him of the the love that he has for God and the love that he has for people, bringing him to a place where it just makes sense that he's going to offer this forgiveness to Onesimus, which has wronged him greatly. We don't know the specific offense, but we do know that Onesimus has either stolen or wronged Philemon in some way, and he has run from, the, uh, from him. And he is uh, an escapee, he is a runaway, and he is gone. And Philemon does not know where he is gone. And, uh, and so when Onesimus finds Paul, Paul leads him to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, he continues to, to work and to serve alongside Paul while Paul was imprisoned there in Rome. And then Paul writes this letter here to Philemon and has it sent to Philemon uh, there in Colossae. And so let's pick up, although we've looked at the resume of a forgiver and the actions of a forgiver, let's pick up in verse number 19 and see how this short little book concludes today. He says, I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest me, even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in the obedience I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, uh, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So in these verses of conclusion to this letter, 
we see the motives of a forgiver. The motives of a forgiver that we can sit and take note of today to say, well, we've learned about what a forgiver looks like, the resume of a forgiver. We have also studied and seen what are the actions of a forgiver. What do they do to make this happen? But now what is it behind the scenes that motivates somebody to offer forgiveness? So let's ask God to guide us this morning. Father, I pause to offer myself to you as your servant that desperately wants to be led with this message today. May we not be distracted. May our minds be refreshed. And may we be able to be attentive to what you would have for us. Lord, I know that even within my own heart and mind, the distractions can be easy, uh, weary bodies or just things that are going on in our lives. But we have set aside this very precious time to read your word and to study together, to be instructed from it. And so may it not pass by us so quickly without us being engaged in the word. Allow us to sit there being with humbled hearts, being open and attentive to your message. If there's somebody here today that doesn't have a personal relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, may today you draw them to yourself. The Holy Spirit convict their heart and they see clearly their need for Jesus. It's so easy for us to think that we can do things on our own. And certainly with our eternal salvation, many people have been duped by the devil to think that they can earn their way to salvation and to heaven. But would you bring something to light today that would give them new truths from God's word that are powerful and that would humble them to a place of confession and reception of your grace. So we give this time to you in Jesus' name, amen. As Paul closes this short letter, he addresses some clear motives that Philemon is going to be motivated by. And he comes to verse number 19, and as he's continuing a statement that he's already made in verse 18, if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on my account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. So first of all, we see the motive of the realization of an unpayable debt, an unpayable debt. The very conversation of debt can bring to some people's hearts this negative emotion. Some people, when they think of an unpayable debt, it brings an insecure feeling. Uh, maybe they have this sense of um, regret over the unpayable debt. Uh, maybe there's an overwhelming spirit or an emptiness when they think of this unpayable debt. And, and no doubt Onesimus is at that place where he has accumulated an unpayable debt to Philemon one that is going to be accounted for and who is going to step in and take care of this. And Paul writes this letter to clearly identify the, the unpayable debt. Philemon is not the finances that you've lost because Onesimus has stolen from you and he's left and you've had to hire new work. He says the debt that is unpayable is the eternal debt. In verse number 19, he continues by saying, Albeit, or that, I do not say to thee, says, I will repay this, but I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. Now, it wasn't as if Philemon had some debt that he had borrowed money from Paul, but Paul was the one who had brought Philemon to a place of knowing Jesus Christ. Philemon, as what we probably assume very 
very much so that he was a businessman within the church and probably a well-to-do man, and he probably had a lot of resources. But the greatest debt that he owed was that somebody cared enough to share Jesus with him. And so notice Paul's approach here in verse number 19. He follows up from what he says in verse 19, and he reminds that Onesimus is the one who stands in need of reconciliation. And so Paul says, I will offer sacrificially to pay the price. The beautiful picture there is that you and I stand in need of reconciliation before a holy God. Because of our sin, we have fallen short of the glory of God. And so there's nothing that we can do to merit salvation on our own. And so we stand in need of reconciliation, and that's where Jesus Christ, the sinless, perfect Lamb, stood in our place and sacrificially paid the debt on our account. And so here, this eternal, unpayable debt is one that Philemon is rewarded with. Now, some would say that the power of love becomes the solution to this problem, but we have to understand that even love has to pay a price. For if love was the sole answer to paying the debt off, well, then God so loved the world, we would think then the world would all be saved. But that's not the case. And so it's not just the love that pays, or it's not just the love that becomes the solution to the problem. It actually is that there has to be an action by that love, and that's the sacrificial price. So God saves sinners by his grace, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so the payment by love had to be a sacrificial price. So he paid the debt for us and sent his son, Jesus Christ. You know, this is what we've studied before, and I think it was probably about a month and a half ago, maybe a month ago, we studied the, the doctrine and the study of, of imputation and where you had to have somebody stand in to pay the account. And we, we also learned together that day, we were reminded of this truth of somebody stepping in. It's where Jesus took on the sins of the world, not so that he became a sinner, but that he stood in on the account of the sinners. And then it's not as if we now have become pure righteousness, but we stand in the account of righteousness, and so that God can see us now as being righteous by what Jesus has done. We're far from righteous here on earth, looking forward to the glorification when that day will finally come ready to be done with this world, ready to be done with all that we we carry about each and every day. I'm tired of the the, the temptations and the sin that is so easily besetting us. I'm, I'm tired of families being ripped apart, marriages that are struggling, relationships that are so shattered and broken, people who are carnal and people who are are living apart from God. And we're tired of all of that. But the truth is, is that the life that we've been called to is whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And part of living my life to the glory of God means the two greatest great, greatest commandments, love God and love people. And so when I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind, I pursue him passionately and fervently, and that I can't help but love people around me. And so when I look at the people who annoy me and, and the people that are, are, are rubbing me the wrong way, I look at them through the eyes of Jesus and love them and want to share the love of Jesus with them. 
And I want them to become in this relationship, this personal relationship with Jesus as well. And so this imputation, this putting on the account is where Paul was saying, I will pay the debt. Uh, This is not my debt to pay for Onesimus, but I give you my word in my own handwriting, I will take care of this. And so Philemon knew exactly what, what Paul was referencing here uh, when he gave that last part, how he owe, you owe unto me even thine own self besides. And then look at verse number 20. In verse 20, he says, Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Refresh my heart, the seed of my emotions. Let them be refreshed because of you. He says, let me sense joy because of you. And so verse number 20, another motive for the forgiver is the desire to continue to be a blessing. Two weeks ago, we saw in verse number 7 that Philemon's love was an encouragement and it was a refreshment. You see in verse number 7, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, Philemon, because of who you are and what you do. Because the bowels of the, of the saints, the hearts of the saints, the Christians, the emotions, the seat of their emotions, they are refreshed by you. So uh, Philemon was the kind of man that encouraged people that were around them, around him. They were people when, he, when they were facing struggles, he was the kind of guy you wanted to be around. He was the one you wanted to have conversation with. He was the one that was going to lift you up with the things that he had to say. He was the one that brought positive um, thoughts to your mind instead of beating you down. He was the one that was going to leave. When he left you, your, your heart was refreshed by him. Do you know people like that in your life? Where after spending a few moments with them, you walk away and you're just like, every time I have conversation with them, I'm just refreshed. Now, I've got to tell this story, Miss Dorothy. I'm sorry. But I went and visited her on Wednesday morning and prayed with her. At her, at her procedure. And as I held her, ha- her hand and I prayed with her and her dear husband standing right there, as I finished, I was ready to finish with my statements that I usually do, she popped in and said, P.S. And then she started to pray. And you know what she prayed for? Me and my wife and my family. No concern about what she was getting ready to do. And of course, that's the first time that's ever happened to me at a hospital visit. But I walked away refreshed, knowing that there are people that you can be around. Now now you've got some pressure. Everybody that's going to, they're going to come around you. You've got to refresh them today, all right? But people, you know of people in your life. And the word joy here in verse number 20, it, it has a literal meaning of the word benefit or profit. So he says, let me profit or let me benefit from you. Let me have this joy in thee. In the Lord. And you remember back in verse number 11, because this word actually, joy, I said it comes from this word of benefit or profit, it's the same root word that the name Onesimus comes from. It's the word useful. So Paul's doing a little play on words here, and look at verse number 11, because remember he said, which in time past, Onesimus was to you unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. He's now profitable. He is now useful. He is a benefit. He is a profit. He is a joy to be with. And so this choosing not to forgive Onesimus would bring great grief to Paul's heart if Philemon would make this choice. You think about the parent 
the mom or dad who sees two of their adult children who are estranged and they don't get along and they're unwilling to forgive each other and to be around each other. There's the spouse who sees their family has shattered because of an unwillingness to forgive or seek reconciliation. There's a church that suffers, a church who suffers through disunity or slander or verbal attacks, and ultimately it goes through pain and loss because someone in the congregation chooses not to forgive or seek out reconciliation. And so we think often that if it can just be kind of brushed under the rug and forgotten, and we just move on with our life, then everything's going to be fine. But you know that in the dark moments of your heart, in the, in the desperation where you're searching for answers, your mind begins to roll very rapidly, and the heart begins to, to move and to beat, and, and all of a sudden, the very seat of your emotions, the heart, the bowels of who you are, the very seat of your emotion gets drawn back to the negativity. And all of a sudden it rehearses everything back into your memory and you act out on it. These are the opposite result. These are the results that are completely opposite of, of forgiveness and reconciliation. And so Paul knows that. And Paul says that the joy which I'm writing to you about, I desperately want to experience. And I'm encouraging you, Philemon, to continue this pattern that you have developed. Continue to be this example of bringing great joy and being a blessing. People in our life often, um, I, I think about how uh, in our family time, and when we spend time in prayer with the girls, or if, if Natalie and I are praying together, I often in our prayer time, I will say, God, as I thank you for Bailey and Brooklyn, I thank you for the joy that they bring to our family. And what I mean by that word joy is not that every waking moment with Bailey and Brooklyn brings laughter and happiness. Well, pretty a lot with Brooklyn, yes, but uh, not every moment is going to be laughter and, 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 and excitement. But what it means is truly that word of blessing. It's the prophet, it's the, it, it is that usefulness in the sense of what they add to us as a family unit. And honestly, it's, it's, though it's not always their laughter, it's certainly not always the proud moments that we have with them, but it is this sense of blessing, what they teach us about grace. Have you taken a moment to realize the picture that your kids teach you about grace in your life? So it's those moments, those teaching moments about grace and what they show us about unconditional love. How a child can, can be responded to with such haste from our voice, but yet turn around and just long to be hugged and embraced again. What an amazing picture that is. And so there's so much that our kids can teach us about who we are as individuals and where we stand before God, they, they bring to our hearts these God moments in our lives. And so here we find this word blessing, and it's a joy for people in our life. Number three, the motive here is why or what's going to motivate Philemon to forgive Onesimus is in verse 21 and 22, the obligation to obey and be accountable. This obligation to obey and be accountable. Philemon's obedience was to Christ, 
and his accountability was to Paul. Notice in verse number 21, he says, Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. And so Paul never demanded anything. He simply urged and pleaded with him. Isn't that interesting? Paul could have definitely come across very strongly with his apostle position, with his history, and with his um, knowledge. But he simply just pleads with Philemon to do what he knows is right. We've got to remember that Paul directed everything to what was right biblically. He was going to this account of Philemon being an example of godliness. He was directing everything to this place where he would come to be a heart, his heart would be a, a, a true account of a follower of Jesus Christ. And by the way, when we're not willing to forgive, we're the furthest thing from a picture of Jesus Christ. Complete opposite. Because Jesus Christ extends his forgiveness to us, though we never stand in a position of deserving his forgiveness. And so when we hold on to things and we are unwilling to forgive, we're a complete opposite picture of who Jesus is. And so Paul is urging Philemon to show this a godly example, to show that he has a heart of following after Jesus. This act of obedience came not as a following of law nor a function of fear, but totally fueled by his faith. This was totally fueled by love and what he was going to be motivated by. So it would definitely be safe to assume that Philemon had heard at this point in his life um, the, the theology of forgiveness. He's probably studied the thought out of Matthew 6 that our forgiveness from God depends on our forgiveness to other people. No doubt that he understood there are no limitations of forgiveness. Understanding that, there are no limitations to our forgiveness. There are no escape clauses nor any excuses for our forgiveness. And so study Matthew 18, Luke 17, 2 Corinthians 2, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3. These are passages that you can study in depth to see the lessons we learn about forgiveness has no limitations. It has no excuses, no escapes, but must be done. So Paul was confident that Philemon would do this. He said that, I'm confident in your obedience. I know, Philemon, that this is a no-brainer to you. And so that's why I write it. In verse 22, it starts with these two words, but with all. Those two words would be as if we were saying, and one more thing. Have you ever done that before? Oh yeah, one more thing. As your husband runs out for eggs and bread. Ah, one more thing I need to add to that. He says, let me just add this in conclusion as to what I'm saying. Paul expected to be released from prison soon. They did not have a strong case. This was his first imprisonment, and he was in Rome. They did not have a strong case against him. And maybe Paul had already been told of a, a release date. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. But he is able with confidence to tell to Philemon, because of your prayers and because of the prayer of the church there in Colossae, he says, I will be released soon, and I would like to come to you. So would you please prepare a place for me so that I can come? And we find a similar statement that Paul would write in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 and 20 through 21. And again in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In these two letters, Paul addresses to the church at Corinth and says, I will come if I have to. 
Now, as he was dealing with the Corinthian church, he was dealing with an iron fist about this forgiveness. So he's having to be very strong. He starts the letter with giving his apostleship and makes it very clear, I come to you with, with authority over these issues. But with Philemon, it's as if he comes with a kid glove. It's, it's almost as if that saying that our school administrator used to always say um, when I was in high school, a word to the wise is sufficient. And I guess that's been a saying. I always thought he was the original thing, but I, know, I guess I looked it up. He's not the original one. It's, everybody says it, and it's probably been around for decades. But a word to the wise is sufficient. So he doesn't approach it with the iron fist of the church at Corinth and saying, buddy, you better do this. You better handle it. It's biblical. You better obey God, and you better follow my, my example and my lead. That's how he dealt with the church at Corinth. But with Philemon, he, he realizes he's dealing with a man and an individual who is godly, who loves God, loves people. And a man, if you want to study back two weeks ago to the resume of a forgiver, as Paul put it in his first uh, seven verses, uh, just an amazing man. And so he knows he's dealing with that. And so he says, I'm confident you're going to obey. I'm confident you're going to do what God wants you to do. And then I'm going to come. And I want to visit with you. And I want to fellowship with you. And I want to partner beside you and be there with Philemon and Onesimus joined together. Let me ask you this question. Do you think that all Christians should be accountable to somebody else? Do you think that all Christians should be accountable to somebody? If you answered no, then I, I want you to read and study Hebrews 10.25 and Hebrews 13.17. And then if you said yes, I want to ask you another question. Who are you presently accountable to? Who are you talking and having those difficult conversations with. Who's encouraging you in the Lord, but then also bringing just real thoughts to you, like what Paul wrote to Philemon. Paul was not threatening. He was not saying, Philemon, you do this, and by the way, I'm coming to stay with you, and I'm going to check on everything to see if you dotted your I's and crossed your T's, just like I've said to do in this letter. That's not what Paul did. Paul had a partnership, a friendship, and he was going to keep him accountable. Accountable will, accountability will help immensely in the motivation of forgiving others. I've had to talk to both of my accountability partners. And I've spoken with both of them about even bottling things up inside of me. And the willingness to move past things. And the willingness to forgive. And the willingness to, to move. And, and I told you before, one of them said, well, have you prayed for them? And... That wasn't what I wanted to hear as my advice at that moment. But that brought me to a place of, ah. Sometimes your spouse can be a good accountability. As uh, Natalie and I have had tremendous conversations in the past where she is bringing things, even as I'm sitting there preparing to preach and to worship with you, words of encouragement, words of advice, words of things that she knows where I'm at and who I am. And there's no closed book there. So, who is the accountability in your life that's pushing you to obedience before God and to walk in his precepts? Then the last thing here is in verse 23 and 24, there is this uh, Paul's reminder of this motivation of the fellowship and connection of the Christian community. In verse 23, he says, there salute thee, and he lists five men as fellow laborers. You know, the Christian life is not to be lived out in isolation. The Christian life is not to be lived out in isolation. 
too many try to live their life as best as possible with only confiding in themselves. And they'll find as much help through a self-help book. They read their Bible. They study the Word of God. But they have no levels of accountability. They have no open conversation. They're not willing to receive admonition. They're not willing to take in advice. They don't want anything from the outside. They just keep to themselves. Paul reminded Philemon about this connection of Christian fellowship, this community. And he lists these five men, Epaphras. We know Epaphras was the pastor there in Colossae, pastoring the church in Philemon's home. So remember, Philemon, who this book was written to, businessman, he is hosting the local church in his home. This is first century. This is before buildings were built for churches, and the church was there in the home. And then there is Marcus. Marcus is John Mark, the author of the second gospel. Then there's Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas. That's the physician, Luke, the physician and the author of the third gospel. And so these are five men that Paul reminds him that Philemon has fellowship and connection with them. And he says, within this Christian community, there is a responsibility before us, each of us, to do right. For instance, if one of us were to see another struggling in their Christian life, by love we confront that. By love we'd say, hey, what's going on? You know, why have you missed so much? Or why do you post this on social media? Or, or why is your spirit and your attitude portrayed in this way? And so by love, we, we have conversation. We confront this because we're a community of believers who are striving to be unified, to stay focused on what God has called us to do. And so the church cannot be discombobulated with people who want to live in isolation and be separated from the local body of believers. And so Paul reminded him of this, and the opportunity was before him to set a good example to these believers. Uh, these men could have looked, Epaphras the pastor, no doubt word has spread through this local church. This is the church that meets in Philemon's home. Epaphras is the pastor. So Epaphras is going to have a level of accountability with Philemon. Word has spread Onesimus has wronged you, he's stolen from you, he's done this, this, and this, and he's run, you don't know where he's at, you know what he's done. You know what we do in this Roman Empire with runaway slaves? If they ever return, we crucify them. Or we label them with a hot brand with a big F on their forehead for fugitive. And that word conversation could have been going on throughout the church. Some people were riled up, some were peacemakers. Some were just hoping for a peaceful return by Onesimus, or some may have just hoped Onesimus fell off the, off the globe so that this wouldn't have to be dealt with. So Epaphras is going to have to, as the pastor, deal with this issue within the church, and he's going to help keep Philemon accountable. If he failed to forgive, it would have fractured the connection that he had with these men. Now, I want you to look around you for just a moment. When you look around you, you see men and women Teenagers, young adults, middle-aged, seasoned adults as well. And when you look, you see the faces of people that have gone through tragedies in life, heartaches, difficulties, and honestly, just real struggles. Some have, have battled with hatred. Some have had such high levels of anger and spite that it has accumulated to bitterness and separation. So the daily struggle is real that people face. 
The darkness of the hour of desperation has happened for some people in here. And honestly, for some, you may even be going through those moments right now. But in the midst of all of those stories that could be told by this group of people, we are also looking at people who have found freedom. People who have found freedom in forgiveness. The ability to release the guilty individual from the debtor's prison because they knew that it was an unpayable debt and they knew that there was a connection within the fellowship of the Christian community. And so this release of baggage called bitterness and anger and unforgiveness We're motivated with a desire to be reconciled. We pursue peace in our life, and we work to restore these hurting relationships. I want to end the series, or at least this book of Philemon, uh, with a story from Colin Powell, and he told this story. He said, in one of my assignments as a young infantry officer, I was sent to the 48th Infantry near Frankfurt, Germany. He said, in those days, our prize weapon was a huge 280-millimeter atomic cannon. He said, guarded, the the, uh, cannon was guarded by infantry platoons. And so these guns were hauled all around the forest on trucks in order to keep the Soviets from guessing where their location was. So one day, Captain Tom Miller assigned my platoon to guard a 280, and so I alerted my men. I loaded my 45 caliber pistol, and I jumped into my Jeep. He said, I had not gone far when I realized that my 45 was gone. I was petrified, because in the Army, losing a weapon is serious business. So I had no choice but to radio Captain Miller and tell him what happened. The response, you what, he said in disbelief. He paused for a few seconds, and then he added, All right, just continue on the mission. Colin Colin Powell says, When I returned, I was uneasy. I was contemplating my fate, and uh, Captain Miller called me over. He says, I got something for you. He handed me my pistol. Then the captain said, Some kids in the village found it where it fell out of your holster. Kids found it? Powell thought. He said, this brought a cold chill, turned my stomach upside down. I couldn't believe how this had happened. He said, yeah. He said, luckily they only got off one round before we heard the shot and we took the gun away. (sighs) Colin Powell thought this disastrous possibility just kind of left me limb. I couldn't believe what had happened. The captain looked at me and he said, don't let that happen again. And then he drove off. So Colin Powell said he checked the magazine and he found that it was full. The gun had not ever been fired. He said, later I learned that I had dropped it in my tent before I ever got started. Captain Miller had fabricated the scene about the kids in order to give me a good scare. He said, today, the army might hold an investigation. They would call in lawyers and likely enter a bad mark on my record. He said, but Miller gave me the chance to learn from my mistake. His example of intelligent leadership was not lost on me. Nobody ever got to the top without slipping up a little bit. When someone stumbles, he said, I don't believe in stomping on them. My philosophy is 
pick them up, dust them off, and get them moving again. Christian, a body of believers plugging in and working together. Guess what? We're going to fail each other. People are going to hurt you. People are going to do things that you just don't think are right. Sometimes we have to remember that the just man falls seven times. They have to get back up. Wouldn't it be great that we were known as not the people stomping on them while they were down, but the people that pick them up, dust them off, and get them moving forward again so that they can be healed and restored in order to be used again? What's the motive of your forgiveness? Where are you at today? Remember, realize that there's an unpayable debt. Don't hold them into a debtor's prison thinking that it's going to make them miserable because it only makes you miserable. And then desire to be a blessing. Extend that joy. Be that profitable blessing to other people. Understand that we are obligated with the necessity of obedience. Matthew 6 tells us if we're going to have God's forgiveness, we must extend that forgiveness to others. So obligated with the necessity of obedience and accountability. And then the precious fellowship and connection within our Christian family, how vital that is in these days as we strive to make an impact with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So may you be motivated to be a forgiver today. Father, I pray that you would help us to see our own hearts, where we stand and who we are. I'm not sure how you want to work in this invitation I don't certainly want to get in the way of how your Holy Spirit prompts and works. And So would you lead us to this concluding thought about forgiveness. We have walked together as a church family through a journey. We have, we have looked together at what, what this forgiveness means and how it applies to my life. And so now we come to a decision point whether we're going to take what we've heard and apply it or just let it go in and out so father work right now and then if there's anybody here that that lord doesn't have a personal relationship with you may you bring them to that decision point today as well in jesus name amen